0: This episode contains references to racism and a woman who will not be restricted.
1: I don't remember who told me or what happened, but I always knew, I knew very early on, I was not the one that people wanted. And this left me feeling very, very rejected, feeling pushed to one side.
0: From Nas' Legacy and Rising Girl, this is Break the Glass, the podcast that talks to trailblazing women who are broken through barriers to rise up and achieve their dreams.
1: But there are two ways when something like this happens to you. Either I get crushed myself and I feel that I'm a failure and I internalise all of this, or I set the world on fire. Go out and prove to everyone how wrong they were.
0: I'm your host, M Hashmi.
1: put the labels on you and that's what you think you are. That is not what you are. You are exactly what you want to be. I went in with the attitude that, you know, I will keep pushing at the door. If you do not open it, I will break it down.
0: Some of the women who inspire me the most are those who have climbed to the high places and then not satisfied with being there alone have pulled other women along with them those who make great things happen for themselves and others, who achieve their dreams and help other women find and achieve theirs. Today, we are talking to one of those women.
1: No point breaking the glass ceiling. What I want to break is the entire edifice. I want to bring down all these buildings, not just the door. Forget the door, let's bring the building down. Let's flatten the everything so that all of us can come on it. The door is too small. Remember that, when people shut the door, say, oh, just shut the door, I'll bring this whole place down. This
0: is cook, entrepreneur and all-round powerhouse, Asma Khan. You might recognise her if you've seen the Netflix series, Chef's Table. Or maybe you've heard of her Michelin-star London restaurant, where she employs an all-female staff. Or maybe this is the first time you've heard of her. If it is, I am so excited for you to meet her. She wants you to celebrate yourself, embrace your culture and change the world.
1: You just need to follow your own path and stay true to yourself because you know this is how you will win. You will win by really being who you are and this shines. It radiates out, people can see it and they will bow down to who you are My journey is that of, you know, you may not relate to it immediately, but possibly might be the story of your mother or grandmother. I'm an immigrant. I came to this country after having an arranged marriage. Uh, Arranged marriages are different from forced marriages. I was very happy to be married. I married an academic. I moved to this country. And the thing is that, you know, I was a stranger. I was an outsider and I struggled a lot. It was very difficult. There was a time when you couldn't call home, so I couldn't call India. Uh, you couldn't call Pakistan. Any of these countries uh, easily. It was very expensive. Travel was very expensive, and essentially you were cut off. You know now, if people tell me, you know that they that they are lonely or they they miss their home or they, you know, you can you can WhatsApp your cat, your dog in Delhi. It's not. It's very cheap, but for us it was very hard. You know, for that generation of of women who came to this country with no roots. I had to create a connection. I had to create um, a group that I could relate to. I grew up in a very traditional family. My birth was not celebrated. There was a preference in a very patriarchal society in which I was raised for boys. My birth was lamented, I knew, very early on. I was not the one that people wanted. And this kind of left me feeling very, very rejected, feeling pushed to one side, you know, and it's not my immediate family. My mother loved me a lot. And, you know, I, I, my parents were very supportive. I, I had really nice siblings. I was very close to my brother and my sister. My brother was born three years after me. But what it did is that in extended families, you know, um, I was much darker, much fatter than my sister, who looked like a movie star. She still does. People always say, "Oh, she must be much younger than you." She's much older than me, but she looks amazing. And you know, it's it was what other people made you feel like, made you feel small, made you feel less valuable. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, how old you are or what your background was. There's something very, very, very similar in that feeling of being othered, of being pushed to the side and made to feel you don't fit in. I remember this with my, you know, listening to children in school. I was a governor in a state primary school for 10 years where people would come and tell me that, you know, they tell me I smell, I smell of curry, that my, my lunchbox smells, that my bag smells, my coat smells. I realized that there was one way to crush this. Either I crush, I get crushed myself, and that I feel really, really uh, dejected, uh, depressed, and I feel that I'm a failure, and I internalize all of this, or I set the world on fire, that I would go out and prove to everyone how wrong they were, that I was someone who counted, that my birth mattered, that I mattered, I would close my eyes and imagine my name in lights, my entire name. I would see Asma Khan in lights that I was going to be something someday. I was going to be someone incredible. But my other great dream was for every person who was othered and pushed aside, I was going to take them with me. So it wasn't just that I needed to break my chains. I can never be free if I can see people in chains. I was always seen as the not that attractive looking, but very smart kid. It was always the case that I was being, uh, you know, put in one corner as the smart, efficient, you know, organized person. And, you know, there was a time when, you know, anything needed to be done. And my sister would get up and say, no, 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 you sit, you sit, let her do it. And, you know, at that time it made me feel very nice. Oh yeah. You know, I'm so organized. I'm so smart. But then I know, and I only I know as a matter of fact, my sister did much better than me in school. She was brilliant. She also suffered because of the way she looked, because of what people thought she was. She was this pretty beautiful, graceful doll-like person who was so graceful and everybody thought, put her in front of all the situations where you needed someone with great manners. Uh, she spoke much better than I did. and But I know she would absolutely, you know wipe the floor with me when it came to maths you know her english was much better highly you know extremely entertaining person she never got a chance to shine she never got a chance to shine because she was always seen as you know just pretty do not let others push you into playing a role you don't want to play this is your life that stage is yours go play the role That your heart is telling you to play. That is when you will come out as a winner. It's, you know, our society is really strange. And this is not a cultural thing. Every culture does this. So it's not just, you know, South Asian or you come from every background. Because of the way you look or the way you do in school or the way you're physically built, because you're fast, you're good at football, you're good at this. You know, this thing that you're good at this, you're bad at that. People put the labels on you. And that's what you think you are. That is not what you are. You are exactly what you want to be. So that drove me a lot in everything I did. I studied law. I did a PhD in law. People had put me in that box of being a smart kid. I did law to impress everybody else. And, you know, it was embarrassing and awkward because everyone was like, you know, you want to cook? Everybody can cook. You know, you're a lawyer and, you know, you should go on and do something great in your life. But, For me, what was going to be something that gave me pleasure, I listened to the voice inside. In India, there's a lot of uh, discrimination when it comes to caste.
0: The caste system in India divides everyone up into groups of castes, depending on their family and culture. It is a hierarchical system which says some castes are below others and that people from those castes are better than others. It causes prejudice and division between people.
1: People often don't eat with each other. They don't share the same table. They don't share the same food. And food is often used as a way of dividing people. You eat this, I don't like you. Uh, you know, I'll shun you because you know you eat meat or you eat vegetables or you eat that. And I come from a country where people die of hunger. For us, hunger is not relentless, nor is thirst. We can get water, we can eat. And I've always found that problematic that, you know, in India people always uh, discriminated, uh, didn't share the table. And my dream doing the law degree and also later on my PhD was that I was going to use food as a tool of communication.
0: Asma had seen food used as a tool to divide people. She now wanted to use it to bring people together.
1: As an immigrant, when I came to this country, I mean, A, the food was shocking. In the restaurant, I went, I went to an Indian restaurant, someone took us. I was like, you know, what is this? Why is the rice multicolored? It was just a shock. I really found that really bizarre, the food that is still a bit strange in some of the, the restaurants, you know, the, the, what they pass off as Indian food, but I realized that people didn't understand me. They thought they know what I am. They thought they understand my food by looking at the color of my skin and my accent, but they had their prejudices. And I always felt that I want people to sit down on a table and eat with me because I won't let you hate me because of the color of my skin, because of my Muslim name my accent, my age, my size. I will not allow you to be prejudiced and hate. You need to sit down on the table with me. I need you to eat my food. I want to tell you my stories. I want to tell you who I am. I want you to enjoy my food. The food is an extension of who I am and my cultures. For generations, this food has come down from families. And you know, for all of you who are from different uh, backgrounds, uh, you know, your grandparents may be from different countries, your parents may have migrated, even if it's three, four generations away. There is food that you eat, that is of the land where your parents and grandparents came from. That is important. That is part of your legacy. That is part of who you are. It is your DNA. And for me, food became that.
0: So fueled by the belief in food, but without money to open restaurants, Asma started a series of supper clubs. Customers would come to a house where she would cook for them. I'm
1: sitting on my dining table. This was where I began my journey. I have realized that, you know, I could be a lawyer and, you know, set up, you know, a legal center and help women. But I realized that I can use food as a tool to make people understand people who look like me, who are like me, who sound like me. So that you know, at least next time you sit next to a tube, in the tube, when all of us eventually get back on the tube and you can see people's faces because now everyone's wearing a mask. But that time, that time will come when everything will be over. And you sit next to someone who may look like me, but you've eaten my food, you know my story. You may not flinch, even if that person's coat is smelling of masala. Don't flinch, look at them in the eye. Because I say this all the time, you know, how is it that our food is so popular? Everybody loves to go and have, you know, chicken tikka masala. You know, people love to go and have donut kebab. But they, they take the food. You cannot just take the food. You need to take me too. You need to understand I come with the food. Do not separate food and culture. This happens a lot. We should not allow
0: it. Her Supper clubs did very well She was invited by another chef to open a pop-up restaurant in his restaurant and after a few years had built up the funds to move out of her house and hold lunchtime supper clubs at a venue in Soho. In 2017, she finally was able to open a restaurant which she named after the train she would ride as a child in the summer holidays, the Daljiling Express. Asma's approach to running a restaurant and hiring staff is also different to the approach of most other restaurateurs.
1: I'm so happy that I have been able to set up a business uh, like Darjeeling Express. It is a a kitchen which has got, you know, all all women um, and all home cooks, just like me. So, you know, I never call myself a chef. Chef is a professional qualification. You get that in culinary school or you get that from, you know, working like at very low down in the kitchen and you work your way up. People call me a chef, I I, sometimes let it pass. I said, okay, you can call me a chef. But I don't call myself a chef. I always call myself a cook. And I wanted to leave a mark. I wanted to create a ripple where through food and through the steam of, of home cooks, we could break, that huge barrier that exists with food in our culture. Every home you go to in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, this also includes a lot of other countries in Africa, in developing countries, you will go there, you will see the girls getting water, the mother cooking, the mother, the older sister, they're all cooking. You will rarely see a man cooking. How is it then? When every restaurant you go to, there's a man cooking. What happened? How is it that we left, you know, we've been left behind. Are we not seen as good enough for that, for us to be able to serve our food and people pay us, pay us money, but honor and respect us when we serve them. You know, in, in my part of the world, often the men will eat first. They don't even ask what is it left behind for the women to eat. The girls, and the, and the women eat later. Uh, and I refuse to accept this argument about small spaces. But then you look at our food and you think, my God, our food is so patriarchal. Garam, you know, how we call it, garam rotis, hot rotis, hot rice. So if you're sitting on the table, who's gonna make the hot roti? You know, why is our food this, that you could never, it was never designed and created to sit on the table and break bread together. You know, I, of course, you know, I. I was lucky i have a very privileged background i had a very good childhood there were people who looked after me and i could eat on the table with my father and my brother but i know how how lucky and privileged i am others were not and this is unacceptable and we were always isolated from the table so it was for me food was about trying to explain who i was to people but it was also about writing a wrong the wrong was about how women were seen with food. We cooked behind walls. No one saw us. And how many, I remember this, that even I don't remember thanking my grandmother for food she made. Because I expected her to be a good cook. I expected when I turned up, my grandmother would shower me with food. How else do we show food, you know, love in our culture? In our culture, at that time, you know, people just, you know, cooked for you. And I'm very lucky, I grew up in that generation where there was no television. Uh, you know, I, I think you know, just before I left India in 91, television had just come in, you have one channel, it was to only come on in the evening, it was black and white. Uh, there was no mobile phone, there was no entertainment. Only entertainment you had was eating. So everyone invited each other to eat and on that table you talked to each other, no one had phones. So I remember that time and that's what I tried to recreate.
0: Asma's kitchen is still staffed by all women, many of them also immigrants, many of them with no experience of working in a professional kitchen before they came to the Darjeeling Express. Home cooks getting paid and respected for their skills with food. Now she wants other women to do what she has done. Even now, a lot of restaurants in and around London and the UK, it's pretty male heavy. I've never met a woman yet, in, especially like an Asian woman, and I'm not praying that I will after this to say I want to be a chef or I want to be a cook.
1: The thing is that, you know, you cannot be what you cannot see. And this is one problem. And I, this is why, you know, I'm very grateful to you all, uh, to, to both your organizations for inviting me, because I hope that people can, can listen to my story and see someone who's done this the other thing is you know we have our cultural baggage that you know this cooking is seen as manual labor and what i really really hate is all this television of white tattooed men abusing and shouting in the kitchen and this really puts off parents you know so when you need to go to you want to go to culinary school which sound which is costs the same as you know studying architecture or pharmacy you can bet anything your parents are not going to send you to culinary school they don't want you to go into an abusive kitchen because they've seen it on television. They've seen mad, crazy chefs shouting and abusing women. And this is really unhelpful, that this has really put us back. I absolutely hate the fact that you do not get to see positive images on television of women who are running kitchens. There are too few of us, but I am absolutely determined that in my lifetime, and I'm not ready to die till this happens, that I see people who will surpass me, who will be better than me, who will be so brilliant i look up at them in awe oh, i want to see women there and we will get there inshallah because you know the the journey has started you know i'm still very you know i'm i'm a small restaurant but you know you hear stories and i'm mentoring people and you know i don't know whether you know i i'm opening a, a new place inshallah uh, you know i'm trying to move and one of the things i'm doing over there is i'm setting up a mentoring program you come in three months and you work for me I want you to go and become the next CEO of a a food company. I want to train women not to be in the kitchen because that is the decision maker is the CEO. It's always a man. This is why women don't get protected. This is why women don't get promoted. So I realized one thing that you can't do the change from bottom down. It won't happen. The kitchen is a very toxic environment. The woman is always a minority. And woman of color, even more so. So one thing is that I make the boss a woman, then that's when everything changes. So I'm now gonna build the next future generation of restaurant owners, CEOs, and you know I'm excited. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it because I want, to, I want to see change. And I realize change can't happen from the kitchen. You need to have the boss who is a woman and she will stand by the female in the kitchen. That's when you'll see change.
0: Could you talk a little bit more about your transition to being an entrepreneur and the practical dimensions of managing that?
1: It wasn't easy. The biggest problem that all of you will face when you start up a business or you know, want, want to create anything is money. And we are very bad at getting money because the, you know, if you're just looking at venture capitalists, only 1% of entire venture capitalists money to encourage entrepreneurs, you know, tech or anything, any startups, goes to women. I don't even want to tell you what it is for women of color. It's negligible. So we have a problem. We have a problem being able to raise funds. But some of that problem also comes with us. When you walk into a room and you want to ask for money, you need to own that room. You need to be so on fire that they have no option but to give you the money. I went in with the attitude that, you know, I will keep pushing at the door. If you do not open it, I will break it down. And I. I, you know, and I say this all the time The people, you know, talk about the first uh, British chef on chef's table, the fact that, you know, I have an all-female restaurant, I'm in the Michelin guide, all of that. But, you know, for me, I don't celebrate all of that so much because, you know, there's no point breaking the glass ceiling. What I want to break is the entire edifice. I want to bring down all these buildings, not just the door. Forget the door. Let's bring the building down. Let's flatten the everything so that all of us can come on it. The door is too small. Remember that when people shut the door, think, oh, we just shut the door. I'll bring this whole place down. Think big, dream big, but start small. You know, mashallah, your life is huge. You're going to go and do something great. So, you know, when that door closes, just bring everything that holds that door up, bring that down. <laughs> I say this a lot and, you know, I can't see the background or know the background, the stories of all of you all, but I didn't burn, uh, you know, my entire culture and my tradition. You know, people uh, uh, see me, I'm always dressed in Asian clothes. Um, I find that comfortable and, you know, I'm, I'm accented. I've been living in this country for 30 years. Uh, I didn't burn everything of my culture to progress. You don't need to do that. You can stay within your traditions, be comfortable in your skin, and who you are, let other people accept or not accept. You don't need to become like them. You be who you are. This is what my food is. This is who I am. I take your hand and I make you sit down, eat my food, listen to my stories. And in the background, you listen to, you know, Sufi music and Kavali and, you know, the music of that beats in my heart. I, they get moved. They don't understand the words but the rhythm hits them. And there's something that you must remember, that the rhythm will hit them. You just need to follow your own path and stay true to yourself because you know, this is how you will win. You will win by by really being who you are. And this shines because when you are confident from inside, it radiates out, people can see it, and they will bow down to who you are because they understand that you are so confident that you are not afraid. You don't need to mold yourself to become like X, Y, and Z. Remember this, that you know, as a child whose birth was lamented, seen as a second daughter as a liability, today, everyone in my family says, I brought honor to the family, but I will rise because I have learned how to stand every time I fall. So, you know, you all are very young. You may not have had hit that first hurdle, When you fit that horse hurdle, get up, stand up and go on and you will get up and be a star.
0: From Naz Legacy and Rising Girl, you have been listening to Break the Glass. Your host was me. M. Hashmi and our super duper producer Lucy Hallam. Thank you to all our partners including Nas Legacy and all of our volunteers, trustees and team who set up this episode's discussion. And of course a huge thank you goes to the extraordinary guest Asma Khan who inspired us no end. We hope she has done the same for you. If you would like to learn more about Rising Girl and how If you would like to learn more about Rising Girl and how we can help you rise and achieve your dreams or to watch the full interview with Asma Khan and some of her Q&A, you can go to risinggirl.co.uk. Rising Girl is also available on all social media platforms. Rising Girl is also available on all social media platforms including YouTube where you can watch this back. Rising Girl educates, empowers and inspires.